Our scripture this morning is from the fourth chapter of Philippians as we're uh, drawing near the end of this uh, letter. Uh, We've been studying for several months. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Would you please stand for the reading of the word of God. Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. Through him who strengthens me. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me please? Again, our Father, we're thankful uh, for your word and we pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us. That we would see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ high and lifted up. That we would hear his voice and know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. So speak to us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Is it well with your soul? Of course, I have turned around the words of the great hymn, turning it from a statement into a question or from a declarative into an interrogative for you English teachers out there. The hymn is essentially a restatement of this passage from Philippians 4. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The hymn says the same thing. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. But is it? Have we really learned whatever our lot, whatever comes our way, whatever situation we find ourselves in, have we really learned to be content? Now this passage before us is essentially a thank you note. The church at Philippi had gotten up a gift and sent it to Paul in his imprisonment, and he's thanking them for the gift they sent. Uh, Thank you notes are frequently uh, perfunctory. Occasionally, uh, they can be meaningful. If you work at a church, one of the things you have to deal with is beggars. Now, I believe in being generous to our own church members in times of need, but just anyone off the street who calls or wanders in here looking for help on a light Bill does not want to run into me. I have no problem whatever saying no. I was more tenderhearted 10 years ago in the middle of the Great Recession, but we're basically at full employment in this country today. But, but one time, and only one time, a person called requesting assistance, and I let a more tenderhearted person, I won't say who except it wasn't Jonathan Williams, but I let a more tender-hearted person persuade me that we should help this person. And a week or so later, that person sent the church a thank you note. 
That did not in any way change my philosophy on helping beggars, but I at least felt like we had done right to help that one particular person. And Paul is sending a thank you note to Philippi. He had not asked for the gift, but he wanted to thank them for it, be polite. And without being rude, he wants to take the opportunity to talk to them about being content in our circumstances. So now let's analyze Paul's thank you note. First, in this passage, we see the joy of true contentment, the joy of true contentment. Look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul says the gift they sent occasioned rejoicing on his, on his part. He rejoiced in the Lord. Greatly, he says. Now, he had just commanded them to rejoice in the Lord always. Now he's doing it. He rejoiced because they were concerned enough to send him a gift. They had been concerned for him for some time, he says, but they did not have a way. They didn't have an opportunity to show it, but now they have. But this is the thing we need to see from this. They sent Paul a gift that he did not need. And he says so in a, in a polite, roundabout way. He says in verse 11, I'm not speaking of being in need. But he rejoiced. Though they sent him something he didn't really need, he rejoiced because of what it said about them, not him. There's a clue to the secret of contentment right there. Every one of us, people give us gifts that we don't need, that we don't want. People do things for us, meaning well, that we really don't want them to do. And for most of us, our reaction runs anywhere from being slightly annoyed to taking offense. I remember several years ago reading the great uh, modern preacher Chuck Swindoll tell about uh, one time when his children were little, I reckon that had been about 50 years ago uh, now, but a church member uh, came over to his house and uh, to wash his windows inside and out. And, and Swindoll said he did not really want him to do that for him. It took him a while uh, to accept the fact that a church member uh, wanted to come over and wash his windows. No, that's not a veiled request for anybody to come wash my windows. i tell you that right now. I don't want you to see anything over there. Not yet. <laughs> but I understand that. I remember one time... Several years ago, I was gone on vacation, and a church member, unsolicited, came over and cut the grass while I was gone. Well, I had already made arrangements before I left, and when I got back and found out that this person had done this, I was not the least bit thankful that he had done that. I sort of took offense at it. I didn't tell him that I did not appreciate it. I'm too Southern for that, and that was at another church, so it's okay. I'm not calling him out. 
But in retrospect, that was profoundly self-centered on my part. You see, I was only thinking about, what does that person think about me? Does he think I'm helpless? Does he think I'm foolish? Does he think I've never been on vacation when the grass was growing before? Who does he think I am? Paul says he rejoices because the gift they sent, even though he did not need it, showed that the Lord was working in the Philippians' lives. He was making them generous, caring, compassionate people. You see, if I had been as sanctified as Paul, I would have been so focused on the other or so self-forgetful that I would not have been thinking, who does he think I am? I would have been thinking, well, that was unnecessary, but isn't it wonderful that God is working in this man's life and he cares enough to try to help me out? whether I need it or not. That's a key component to having a contented spirit, not to be concerned with self. If you are discontent, if I am discontent about anything, the problem is not our circumstances. The problem very simply is self. The primary obstacle to joy in the Christian life is self. To get over ourselves is the way to true joy. So you see the joy of contentment. Secondly, in this passage, you see the measure of true contentment. Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now we have all experienced contentment. It is not hard to be content. But the trick is to be content. In all circumstances. That's a different story. I remember when I was in seminary, gotten out of college, gone to seminary. For the first time in four years, I had no roommate to put up with. I lived in a little house on the church property all to myself, me and my dog. Church was in my home county, 15 miles as the crow flies from where I was born. The church was out in the country where I am happiest. It was in the country then. It doesn't look like it today if you were to go up there. That little church provided everything for me. Church paid my tuition to go to seminary. They paid me a small salary, provided me the house, and I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't, I wasn't like Jonathan Williams where, who basically had to be your pastor for about two years. I had virtually no responsibilities. Church members in that country church, it was a country church back then, they, they had me in their homes, fed me. Every week I had fresh corn, silver queen, 
fresh tomatoes, homemade banana pudding brought to me on a regular basis. And you know, I got to thinking during those years that I had finally mastered the art of contentment. No, I hadn't. I just had a good run in my life with nothing to be discontent about. You don't know how content your spirit really is until you get into bad circumstances. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance, and need. Now, Paul wrote these words from prison. There's not time to turn, but let me read you what he, Paul said about himself, his own testimony in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to start at verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. This man, this man in constant danger, whipped, stoned, imprisoned, this man says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content." Now, I'm not telling you if your life is good, go mess it up to find out how content you would be if things fell apart. No, just be thankful the Lord's given you happy circumstances for now. But beware, lest you confuse pleasant circumstances for spiritual maturity. Don't think too highly of yourself. The measure of true contentment is contentment in any circumstance, not simply the optimal ones. So you see the joy of true contentment, the measure of true contentment. Thirdly and finally, in this passage, we see the strength of true contentment. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through him, that's through Christ, who strengthens me. Now, of course, that's, One of the most well-known verses in Scripture, it's often used out of context. Somebody can try uh, any uh, harebrained idea and say, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. No, the meaning of this verse in its context is this. I can face any 
circumstance through Christ who strengthens me. This is how Paul was content, chained to a Roman guard. Though he was chained to the Roman guard, his soul was bound to Jesus Christ by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. No human chain is stronger than the ties that bind him to Jesus. No circumstance around him is more real to him than his union with Christ. Nothing can separate him from Jesus. No one can pluck him out of Jesus' hand. Paul says, who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep to be slaughtered in every circumstance. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the secret to contentment, the mystery of contentment. This is the strength of true contentment. No circumstance is stronger than the tie that binds me by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. No circumstance can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. The great Presbyterian minister, late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and he's been dead exactly 20 years now, told a story. As uh, some of you may know, uh, back in the 1970s and 80s and the 90s, uh, Dr. Boyce uh, had a regular uh, radio program. His uh, messages were broadcast uh, all over the world. It was called the Bible Study Hour. Uh, He wrote uh, many books and commentaries on Scripture. And this was uh, something that he wrote back in the 1980s. Things were different. But he says this. I received a letter from a man who had attended 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, that's where he pastored, about 25 years ago. So this would have been in the the 1960s, late 50s, early 60s. He said his story was a sad one. He had slipped into homosexuality in his youth. And by his own confession, his lifestyle had cost him his family. He had a wife and children. It cost him his profession and his health. This man now had AIDS. And of course, back in the 1980s, it was not 
treated as it is today. There wasn't a medicine for it. It's a death sentence. This man was writing to say that during his terrible illness, he had found the Lord and wanted to receive the weekly cassette version of the Bible study hour, which he knew of and had found spiritually nourishing. And this is what this man, this dying man, wrote. Unfortunately, I'm losing my eyesight due to AIDS. I'm reading your material as fast as I can before I find myself unable to see. Your tapes will enable me to continue my studies after the light fails. I have become obsessed with God. I cannot get enough of his word. He literally has become my soul incentive to live. I have lost so much already and am losing everything else, but I cannot lose him. He is the only reason I hold on to life, miserable as it is. My living now is preparing me for eternity. I have learned in whatever situation therewith to be content for neither height nor death, depth nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you persuaded of that? Is it well with your soul? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.